Hey everyone, welcome to Northridge Church Online. We're so glad you joined us here today. I want you to know that Northridge Church is a safe place for you, no matter where you are with God. I mean, isn't that relevant for these days? This is a safe place. No matter where you are with God, though, whether you've been walking with God for a long time, maybe you are new in your faith in Jesus, maybe you don't have a relationship with God, or you're not sure if you have a relationship with God, and, and maybe you're here and you know you don't, and it's because you're not sure if you believe in God, or you believe in the Bible, or you believe in Jesus. We want you to know, no matter where you are on that spectrum, this is a safe place for you. We're glad you're here. We look forward to the questions that you have. So we are in this series that we've been in called Pivot. We're talking about how do we pivot from these days into the new reality because of COVID-19. We've been hearing personal insights and personal stories from people in our church and our community about that question, about what God is teaching them, what God is showing them in these days and about these new days. But we are taking our own advice in this series. <laughs> We are going to pivot today. So you're not going to hear a personal story or insights from a person about COVID-19. Today, we are going to tackle some of the things, some of the stuff that's been going on in our nation, in our world, over these last several days. These are things that we really need to tackle. I want to tell you, to be honest, this is one of those messages that for many of us, maybe not all of us, but for many of us, this might be very uncomfortable. We may not like to hear about conflict. We don't like to hear about things that are, are maybe under the surface and then they surface in really uh, intense, crazy ways. But this is something that we need to tackle. This is something that really a message where when we dig into some of this stuff, this might really rise up some thoughts or some opinions or, or even some feelings. You might even feel a little bit defensive. You might even feel a little bit offended. I want to just tell you this, that I love you. God loves you. And even though we're going to dig in some really important, really tough truth today, I want you to know that you are loved. And I also want you to know that we need to take the position that God asks us to take, not just for this topic, but in every day. And this is illustrated by a really powerful verse, James 4, 6. And I want to share this because I hope that this is the background. This is the foundation for you and I as we go into this message today and as we go into life every day. And it is this. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. My invitation to you today is this. Listen. Not just for you, but for me. Let's listen to God. Let's listen to what we need to hear, what God has to say to us about what's going on, about our hearts, about where we need to go. Let us be humble because God gives grace to humility. So I don't normally start this way, but today I feel that it's very necessary. So I want to start with just a word of prayer. This is as much for me as it is for all of you. So let's pray and ask God to give us the humility that we need going into the truth that we're about to hear. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help all of us, me included, 
to have open ears, open hearts, open minds. Help us, God, today and every day to be more ready to listen than to talk or to shout. Help us to be ready to surrender to whatever you have called us to be or to do. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, today we're going to look at a story in the book of Luke. To be honest, it's one of probably the more famous stories in all of the Bible, in all of God's Word, in all of Scripture. It's a story that, for many of you, you've heard this conversation and this story many, many times. For some of you, this is going to be the very first time you're ever hearing this conversation and this story. So let me set up the context. This is actually a story that's contained within a conversation that Jesus has with another man. Now, there's other people listening to this conversation, but it's between Jesus and this one particular man. And in that conversation, Jesus shares this very powerful story. So we're going to actually walk through the conversation and the story verse by verse, kind of unpacking and and, and learning about what Jesus is saying and what God is trying to tell us through this conversation and story. So without any further ado, let's jump in. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, just to pause there for a moment and be clear about what he's asking. This religious expert is very clearly asking, how do I get in right relationship with God? How do I, when I pass from this earth, when I die, How do I make sure that I get to spend eternity with God? Now, he asks it in this way. How do I inherit eternal life? That's the phrase. But it's synonymous with how do I have eternal life? How do I spend eternity with God? How do I have a right relationship with God? So we just need to be clear in what he's asking to frame the rest of the conversation. Let's go to the next verse. Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Isn't it interesting that sometimes when Jesus is asked a question, he answers the question by asking another question. (laughs) I remember when I was a high school history teacher in the public school system. I used to teach high school students and and coach soccer, and I loved uh, the ability to do that in those days. But one thing I really remember very specifically is that high school students, they loved to ask questions. That was an awesome thing. Sometimes they would ask questions because they wanted to learn. Sometimes they would ask questions as high school students just to get me off of my agenda for the day. They just didn't want to take notes, basically. That's what was going on. Sometimes I indulged them and we would talk about it because they asked real questions about really good things in history. Sometimes I would have to steer them back onto the notes that we needed to take for that day. But a lot of times when they would ask these questions, I would answer their question with another question. Now, why did I do that? Was it because I wanted to frustrate my students? To be honest, I saw a lot of high school students get frustrated sometimes when I would answer their question with a question. But no, it wasn't because I wanted to frustrate them. It was because I knew that the best way for them to actually get to the answer was for them to discover it and say it out loud themselves, rather than me just to spit it out and then write it down. 
Sometimes they needed to learn the answer on their own and speak it out loud. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. The man asks a question and Jesus wants him to be able to answer this question. And so he asks him a question back. So let's go and hear what the response is. What does the religious expert answer? Verse 27. The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Now I want you to notice Jesus' response. Did you notice what he said? The first word he said was, right. In other words, he's telling the religious expert, you gave the right answer. That was exactly the correct thing that you should say. Love God completely with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love other people. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Jesus says, yep, that's the right answer. That's what you need to do to have a right relationship with God. But then, did you notice what else Jesus says? He doesn't just say, yep, that's the right answer. He also follows it up by saying, do this and you will live. Now, this is easy to pass over. This is easy to gloss over. In fact, I would say probably a lot of people, when they talk about this passage and this story that we're about to get to, they probably pass right over this. But this is so important, so foundational of what Jesus says just now. We need to pause and realize what he's saying. What is he saying? He is simply saying this. It is okay and is right to know what is going on around you. It's also important to know what is right, what we should be doing. But Jesus is taking it one step further. What he's saying is just knowing what is right is not enough. Knowing what you're supposed to do is not enough. We need to know what to do and then actually do it. We need to know what's right and then do right. In other words, what Jesus is saying is really simply this. One of the most important things that we need to understand about how God set up life, and it is this. Knowing what is right without doing what is right is wrong. I want to say that again to make sure we catch it. Knowing what is right without doing what is right is wrong. Just knowing what is right is not enough. We have to actually live it out. We need to act on what we know is right. And so the man, at this point, he hears what Jesus says. Okay, I got the right answer and I need to live it out. But apparently maybe he didn't hear the answer quite correctly from Jesus. And so the conversation doesn't end there. The man has another question for Jesus. And so let's go to that, the very next verse. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So now at this point, Jesus is going to respond to this question with a story. So let's jump in and hear the story. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. 
Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now that's not the end of the story. I want to pause there for a moment and ask the question, what does love look like? Well, Jesus tells us, love, at least at the beginning, starts with how it started in this Samaritan man. Did you see what it said that he felt? What Jesus said the Samaritan man was feeling inside? It says he felt compassion for the man. He felt compassion. Love starts within. Love starts with compassion. Love starts from the inside and works out. What Jesus is telling you and I is that we need to feel and have compassion for people in need around us. But then, that's not where it stops. Jesus explains more about love. He says, this is what love starts, feeling compassion, having compassion, but then we need to take it to that next step, which is action. So what does love look like in action? Well, let's go to the story and learn what the Samaritan does. Verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Just so you know, olive oil would have been the healing agent. Wine was the antiseptic. I don't know about you, but we have to remember, he can't just run to Walgreens or CVS and grab this little tube that we call, you know, antibiotic ointment. They don't have that. But what they did have is they had wine, which had alcohol in it, which disinfects. And so he used the olive oil to heal, and he used wine to disinfect the man's wounds. And then he bandaged them. And then it says, Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So again, the question is, what does love look like in terms of action? Well, let me give you one word. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. If we are going to have compassion for others, and if we are going to love others, here's what it looks like. It looks like you, it looks like me, sacrificing our time. Sacrificing our money. Sacrificing our energy sacrificing our reputation, sacrificing ourselves, sacrificing our plans, sacrificing perhaps even our safety to help those who we need to love, who we need to serve, who we need to help. That's what Jesus is saying in this story. The Samaritan was showing love by first having compassion and then acting on that compassion by sacrificing all of those things for somebody that he had never known, that he had just met, who had been hurt and was in need. And so this is where the story, the conversation gets really interesting. How does this conversation end? Well, let's go to that. Verse 36, Jesus finishes telling the story and then he says this. He says, now which one of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. So that's where the conversation ends. Jesus says, which one? And he says, the one who showed him mercy. But the question I have is this. 
And it's perhaps the most important question that we're going to ask today. The question is, why did Jesus tell this story? It's a good story, right? We can all, I hope, agree that this is a great story. It's a story that doesn't start out so well, but throughout the story we find that there's a man that has compassion and he goes to help a person that's in great need and he nurses him back to health and he even pays for him to stay at the hotel at the inn. And, and, and it's a great story and it has a great ending. But it doesn't answer the question, why did Jesus tell it? What was the reason? What was the purpose of him telling this story in that moment to this man that he's talking to? Well, to get that answer, we need to go back to the conversation and we need to look at two specific parts of the conversation that Jesus had with this man. Let's go back to verse 29, which is at the beginning of the conversation just before the story. This is what it says. It says, The man, the religious expert, wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Did you notice why he asked the question? He asked it not because he wanted to learn. He asked it because he wanted to justify how he was living. What this religious expert was asking, in essence, was, Jesus, I want to know, is it okay for me to just love the people that I look like? Is it okay to love the people that I'm comfortable with? Is it okay to love the people that are around me that I, that I understand and, and the people that I don't understand or the people that I don't like too much or the people that have caused me harm or pain or problems? I don't have to actually love them, right? I, I just want to clarify, Jesus, who would you say my neighbor is? Because if I'm going to love my neighbor, that's great. But I just want to know who that person is. Who are those people? Who would you clarify as my neighbor? The man's question shows his heart. It shows his intent. It shows his lack of integrity. It shows his lack of authenticity. It shows his lack of genuineness. This religious expert, he doesn't care about loving everybody. He just cares about loving the people that he wants to love. And he's trying to have Jesus justify that belief. He wants to limit his love to only certain people. And Jesus is about to tackle that by telling the story that he told. And so it shows us his true intentions. That's one reason why Jesus told the story is because he needed to tackle. He knew that this guy was not genuine. He did not want to learn. He did not want to actually love everyone, the, all the neighbors. He wanted to limit that, that love. And Jesus knew that. And so this is why he told the story. But then there's a second thing that shows us the religious expert's intent, his real heart. It's right at the very end of the conversation. It's where Jesus asks the final question. He says, after he tells the story, which one was a true neighbor to the man who was in need? And listen to what his answer is. Verse 37, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, I don't see the problem in that answer. And isn't that the right answer? And, your answer, and the answer to that is, yes, he gave the right answer. The one who showed mercy was the one who was truly being the correct neighbor, the one who was showing love to his neighbor. 
But it's not so much what this religious expert says as much as it's what he doesn't say. I want you to notice that very obviously he left out a word, a term in his answer. He didn't say the Samaritan was the one who showed him mercy. He simply said the one who showed him mercy. And the question is, why did he leave that out? The reason he left out the word Samaritan is a word that we've heard a lot this week. It's the word racism. The reason the religious expert did not say the word Samaritan in his answer is because he could not bring himself to say it out loud. He was racist. And Jesus was tackling that with this story. And this is why we know that there was a lot of racism. In this time in history, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, they hated each other. They didn't trust each other. They feared each other. They avoided each other. It was unlawful to even go into the house of a person that was a Samaritan. That was not like they were. Didn't look like them. And so, in fact, this was so real, so prevalent, just as an example, that if a Jewish person was traveling from southern Israel up to northern Israel, what they would do is they would not head straight north in a straight line, which would be the fastest route and the easiest route to go. What they would do would th is they would instead head northeast, go across the Jordan River, head north along the east side of the Jordan River, and then cross back over the Jordan River to get back to northern Israel. And why did they do that? Well, you can see in the map that's on the screen right now, right in the middle of their path is an area, a region called Samaria. This region is where the Samaritans lived. This is a region, this, is, this would be a neighborhood where everybody knows this is where Samaritans live. And so the Samaritans didn't want anything to do with the Jews, and the Jews didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans. And so in order to do that, the Jews would actually take an extra day or two's worth of travel. That's how long. Remember, they're not taking cars. They're not taking planes. They're walking or riding a donkey or something along that, side, that sort. And so they would take an extra day or two simply to get around the neighborhood, the region where the Samaritans lived. Why? Because they hated them. They didn't trust him. Maybe they feared him. Maybe they weren't sure what they were going to do to them. Maybe the Samaritans weren't sure why the Jewish people were there if they walked through that, that territory. In fact, you, if you see those two arrows on there, the one kind of sweeps around. The other one goes straight through. That arrow shows the path that Jesus took on one of the routes that he took in one of the stories in the Bible when he went on his way from southern Israel to northern Israel. He walked right through Samaria because he knew he was going to meet somebody there who would accept him as Lord and Savior and then would spread the word, the good news, through all Samaria. The disciples were amazed. There was intense hatred between these two people. And so here's one of the most important points that we have to understand about this story, the Good Samaritan. One of the reasons 
Maybe not the only reason, but one of the reasons, maybe the biggest reason that Jesus is sharing this story of the Good Samaritan in this moment is because he is making a bold and emphatic and powerful statement to the man in front of him and to all those listening to him that racism is wrong, that treating or thinking about or choosing to treat somebody because of their skin color or because of their culture or because of their background or because of where they live or because of their socioeconomic status, whatever the case, he is saying treating people and thinking about people differently because they're different than you is wrong. He made the hero of the story people that they could not stand. And it was shown by the fact that he could not even in his answer say the word Samaritan. He couldn't even utter it. The hatred, the intensity was so strong in that moment. Jesus was confronting this religious expert's preconceived ideas about Samaritans and about all people. He was challenging that. And so before I get to my final two thoughts, I need to pause and ask you the question. What preconceived ideas do you have that need to be confronted, that need to change? And before you say that you don't have any, that would be pride speaking. I like to admit that I don't have any either. Whether or not they're racist is a whole nother matter. But we all have those preconceived ideas about ourselves, about other people, about groups. What needs to be challenged? What needs to be changed? So let me offer a couple of final thoughts in light of all of this that Jesus shared. The first thought is this. We've heard this a lot in the last several days, especially this week. But the truth is that a change in our society, in our nation, a change in the laws, some of the laws that tend to kind of discriminate against people or or are a little bit more racist in nature, change in those laws could help the situation. A change in policies in this nation could help the situation, absolutely. A change in in some of the stereotypes and some of the ways that we do things in this nation could definitely help. Absolutely. A change in the systems, the systemic way that are really biased against people of different races, some of those things need to change. Absolutely. But I do want to say this. In addition to those things, Those things are kind of like band-aids over the top of the central issue that really needs to change. I'm not saying that those things don't need to change. I think they do. I'm saying that there's an issue that's deeper than that. And it's something that I think all of us need to recognize and we do recognize that needs to change. And that is we need a change of heart. We need a change of heart. We need to stop believing. We need to stop thinking that one group of people is better than another, that one group of people always does this or that or the other, and that we always need to treat them this way and think of them this way. It requires a change in our heart. 
and how we view ourselves and how we view others and how we view groups of people and how we view different races and, and how we view people with different skin colors, different pigments in their skin than we do, which is all it is. We need to view people differently from different, in a different way. We need to change how we see them in, in different cultures. We need to change. We need to shift our attitudes toward other people who we have long since not trusted, feared, or misunderstood. We need a change of heart on a personal level and on a national level, even on a worldwide level. So that would be the first thing. The second thing that I would say is this. How do we accomplish a change of heart? How do we do that? That is such a big, huge, like audacious goal to have is to change everybody's heart, to change each person's heart, to change our nation's heart, to change the world's heart in this way, in this issue. How do we help ourselves view each other in the way that God wants us to view each other? The fact that he made us in his image. How do we do that? (laughs) I'll tell you, man, that list is long. Right? There, there's, a, there's a lot of answers to that. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. And so I'm not going to give you a list today. In fact, one of the reasons I don't want to give you a list of things that I think needs to happen is because the list is just so big and so long. Like you, maybe I've been reading and I've been looking and I've been trying to, to kind of learn more about this. But I do want to offer one thing because I fear if I give you a list we're going to get bought, lost. We're going to get bogged down in, in a hundred things, in, in six things, in three things that we're supposed to do. So I want to give you one. I want to give you one thing that I'm going to encourage you, that I want to challenge you, that I want to invite you to do. And I want to invite you to do this today. Start this week. Do not delay because what we need to stop doing with this issue and all the other issues is we need to stop dealing with them in crisis and then allowing them to subside until the next crisis hits and then it's all raised in hatred again. No, we need to stop brushing everything under the rug and we need to acknowledge. In fact, that's one of the biggest things. Let's acknowledge that racism exists. Some of you right now, you're resisting that statement. We all know it's true. Racism exists This belief that some groups are better than others, that some groups always do this and these groups never do this. There are those beliefs out there. We all have these biases. Let's talk about it. Let's be real about it. Let's acknowledge it, both on a personal level and systemic level. But the one thing that I want to encourage you to do is this. Listen. Listen. Listen, we need to stop. We need to slow down. And we need to listen. We need to learn. We need to listen from God. We need to listen to God and what he has to say. Not only in this moment, in these days, but every day. His voice is there. We just sometimes don't hear it. Maybe a lot of times we don't hear it. And then we need to listen to people who are not like us. There's no way we can hope to understand or hope to have compassion or hope to love other people that we don't know and that we don't understand unless we actually get to know them. 
We have to get to know them. And how do we get to know them? We listen. Laura and I, this past week, we've been spending a fair amount of time listening, having conversations with people who are not like us, who don't look like us, who have different pigment in skin than us. Very specifically, Laura and I have sought out and, and had conversations with police officers and people who are African American. Yeah, I know there's a lot of other races. There's Latino. There's the, there, I, I know that we could name all kinds, hundreds of other races out there. But in this week, Laura and I felt very convicted, very convicted that we needed to listen, not on social media, not on the news. We need to get off the news. We need to get off social media where there's just, all it is is shouting for the most part. There's a little bit that's good, but most of it is shouting. People pushing their opinion, pushing their agenda, pushing their hatred, pushing what they know, pushing what they think, pushing their ignorance. That's a large part of what the news and the social media is. I'm sorry, but that's just the truth. What we need to do is we need to start talking to people, real, actual people. And we need to have the conversations. And and let me tell you, Laura and I have not had the conversations so I can stand up here and say, we've had conversations. (laughs) That's not the point. The two reasons we've had the conversation is, one, that we've had genuine care and concern, hearts broken for the people that are on the other sides of this conflict than some of us. We've been concerned for them. And so we simply want to reach out and see if they're doing okay, see how they're doing. And then the second reason is so that we can listen and learn. I would encourage you, when you reach out, and you need to reach out to those uh, out there in your circle of influence that are different than you, that have a different race than you, reach out to them, make a call, set up a Zoom meeting, meet face-to-face if you can, that would be great. And then don't seek to be understood, seek to understand. Listen and learn. I'll give you one example. So one example of this that I want to share from Laura and I's experience this week. So we made a phone call to an African-American lady, woman, that we know very well. And we simply wanted to see how she was doing because we knew she was going through some tough stuff. We just, just concern, compassion. But then we also simply told her, we want to just listen. We want to learn from you. We want to hear your story. We want to hear what have you been going through. What are you, what's on your heart? What's on your mind? And it's, and, it, and it's because she is coming from this, at all this stuff that's been happening, from a different perspective, a different angle than what we have, simply because of the different pigment in her skin. And let me just tell you, I learned more from that one conversation, and I've had a lot of conversations this week of people of different races and different backgrounds, different, different you know, professions than me. But I learned more from that one conversation than I've learned from scrolling you know, social media all week long. And it was simply because I was hearing a story of a real person and what they were struggling with. And I wanted to share, I'm not going to share everything. I can't share everything. That would take a couple of hours. But I want to share one thing that she shared. She shared the fact that she had to actually move out of her neighborhood this week. 
And the reason she had to move was because there's another group in her neighborhood. I'm not going to say where, I'm not going to say what the context is, but just know that she had to move out of her neighborhood because there's a group that is specifically targeting African Americans simply because of the pigment in their skin, they are seeking to kill them. This is happening in our nation right now. And she moved. She, she's living with somebody else for these days, for a while until everything settles down because she literally can't physically be in her own neighborhood for fear of losing her life. Racism is real. I want to encourage you. Reach out to those who are different than you. Call them. Have a conversation. Not with the goal of you being understood, but of you understanding, listening, and learning. The only way to defeat racism is to change your heart. And the only way we can allow change on the inside is to listen to what God has to say and perhaps what other people have to say who are coming at life from a slightly different perspective. Can we take on what it says and how we started this whole thing? James 4, 6. God opposes the proud. We need to get rid of our pride and rid uh, uh, of all that stuff that, that holds us back, that builds walls and puts barriers up. We need to get rid of that. God opposes pridefulness, but he gives grace. He blesses the humble. Humility. Let's listen. Let's learn, and let's hear what God has to say to us. Let's pray. God, help all of us to listen. Help all of us to learn. Help all of us to set aside our pride our preconceived ideas and notions and beliefs. And let us hear from you, your voice, not just on the issue of race, but in every issue in life, all of life. Help us to live and learn and remember that you've created every person in your image, that all people are valuable and special and unique in their own way, in the way that you created them. And God, help us to remember that if we reject other people, we reject your creation and reject how you want us to live. So help us to listen and help us to learn. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I love you. God loves you. All of you. And now let's listen and learn from God and from those around us.